Welcome back to The Best Movies with Richard Roper and Rokan. This is Episode 5, Race to the Gold, Richard Roper's Cheat Sheet for the 2020 Academy Awards. This is your opportunity to win your local Oscar pool. There are 24 categories in the Academy Awards, and we're going to handicap all 24 of them. And now, in these great United States of this America, there are even some states where you can legally wager on the Oscars. Oh, yes, there are. So maybe you might see a long shot here. We're going to give you a couple of long shots. Here's the thing, Rokan. When I'm filling out my Oscar ballot, you can't have all favorites. you got to throw in a couple of long shots just to distinguish yourself from all the other jamokes that are up against you in your (laughs) Oscar ballot competition. So for years and years and years at the Chicago Mm Sun-Times, which you have written for for years and years and years, you have engaged in a beat-the-critic contest against readers. And you have a pretty impressive track record. There were a couple of years where I've gotten 22, 23, even 24 out of 24, right? And yes, there have been some years where I had only 16 or 17 because the Academy got some of their selections wrong and didn't listen (laughs) to my predictions. But that's the fun of it, Ro. I mean, as much as I want to go 24 for 24, I get a huge kick out of it sometimes when I'm surprised by who gets the little gold man. So we're going to do the ballot in the traditional order by which these things appear on television. It's like when you go to a restaurant and the waiter comes out and gives you some nice hot bread and maybe even says, ooh, try this little sampler. It's on me. They give you some really juicy categories at the top. Then you have to have your vegetables. I think they actually do a pretty good job of pacing it in terms of the order in which they announce the awards. They always start with a supporting category, so we will too. Actress in a supporting role. The great thing about being a nominee for Best Supporting Actress when it comes to the actual night of the Academy Awards is within seven minutes, you're going to know if you won or you lost. So you can either spend the next three hours in the audience beaming and going, I can't believe I won, I can't believe I won, and texting all your friends. Or you can say, well, I didn't win, I'm just going to enjoy myself. But at least you get the announcement out of the way at the very start. Laura Dern's going to win for Best Supporting Actress here, folks. First of all, I think she deserves to win. She's never won a major, major award like this before, although she's been winning a lot for Marriage Story. So you could try to get a little clever here. I know you loved Scarlett Johansson and Jojo Rabbit. Did, because if for some reason Laura Dern doesn't get it, Scarlett Johansson definitely will. But I'm with you. I would go with what's already been proven. We have seen, though, that this is a category that can sometimes be very surprising. I'll never forget the look on the legendary Lauren Bacall's face where she thought she was going to win for Best Supporting Actress, and she didn't. We've had some other upsets, if you want to call them that, over the years. Most people didn't expect Marissa Tomei, for example, to win for My Cousin Vinny. So there is the possibility for that shock moment. If you're looking for an upset winner, as Ro mentioned, Scarlett Johansson, also because she's nominated in the Best Actress category. So a lot of the voters might say, you know what, let's just support her for Best Supporting Actress. Best Documentary Feature. American Factory is going to win Best Documentary Feature. Ro, it's getting a lot of publicity because Michelle and Barack Obama are the producers, among the producers of this Netflix original documentary. If it does win, just to be clear, they won't actually get little gold trophies. In the documentary category, it goes to the directors of the film. For people who haven't had a chance to check this out, if you do have Netflix, it's on Netflix right now. It's a fascinating look at a factory in Dayton, Ohio, and more importantly, the people in Dayton. It was a GM plant that was shut down during the economic recession of the late 2000s and eventually reopened as the headquarters in America for a Chinese company. And it's all about the cultural differences because you have some of the American workers who have been rehired there 
now struggling to communicate and understand the different cultures with a lot of the Chinese workers who have come to Dayton. It's actually a great film. This is hard to do in a podcast, but we're going to do it anyway. Best makeup and hairstyling. So makeup and hair, Ro, it, the winner is going to be Bombshell. And yes, they did a great job of helping Charlize Theron transform herself into Megan Kelly. It's going to win. When we talk about predictions, I actually think the makeup in Joker is more impressive and more creative. Okay, so if you want to go for your second choice here because you want to get away from what everybody else thinks they're going to do there, Joker for sure. The makeup design is one of the most stylish, interesting, scary. It just evokes all the feels, as the kids like to say. You know, we've talked about other portrayals of the Joker, including the great Jack Nicholson in the Tim Burton version and Heath Ledger, who, of course, won the Academy Award. But their makeup is pretty much the same when we see them as Joker. In this case, the makeup actually reflects the downward spiral of the character. Best production design. Explain what that is. Production design essentially means the sets. When you see the interior sets of a film and even some of the exteriors, all the detail that goes into that. And you know, when you look at a movie, I think it's one of the key components of a film looking really great. Because sometimes when you look at a not-so-good film, in a lot of cases, some older films that didn't have the biggest budgets in the world, you're like, wow, those cabins in the Old West were really clean. <laughs> That's true. I like tchotchkes on the table. I've noticed that <laughs> when you see a movie that's got a lot of detail that looks like something you're familiar with, that tends to win. Can you, it's so funny that you mentioned that, Ro, because I, for the 18 millionth time was watching It's a Wonderful Life over the holidays. And you want to look at production design and little elements and tchotchkes on the table. Mr. Potter, for reasons that are never mentioned or even referenced, <laughs> has a like a big giant skull, like a, like a silver skull on his desk, just to kind of reflect who he is. Winner there? Winner there's going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and deservedly so. You want to talk about production design, not just in terms of capturing the period, but there's production design within production design when, for example, we see the fake interview with the uh, stars of the Western show on the set of their old Western, Leo and Brad Pitt as his stuntman, or the Spawn Ranch, for example, when Brad Pitt's character goes to the ranch where Charlie Manson and his minions are hanging out, and every single element of that is just pristine and pitch perfect. They catch the look and technology of the late 1960s perfectly. Yeah, even when they're in a diner or when Margot Robbie goes into a movie theater, it's exactly representative of the period. And now one of the more annoying television categories, <laughs> the best costume design. They like to bring people out in the costumes oh, or they gosh. show you the making of the costumes. I know it's incredibly important, but it seems antiquated that's in a lot of ways. The true. way they present it, at least on TV. <laughs> they show the seamstress montage. Yeah. You know, I've been sewing this opera gown for 16 years now, says Biddy McBiddy, who's up for her 14th Academy Award. <laughs> and Whoopi Goldberg actually had a lot of fun with that a million years ago. Remember when she hosted and she came out in the various costumes. They also just love the period piece stuff. So Little Women is going to win. And look, they do a beautiful job of recreating the costumes of the era, but they not only have actual historical fact from that time, they have 127 other Little Women movies. I always think it's more creative and original for something like Jojo Rabbit, which, yes, is a period piece, but actually has fun lampooning the Nazi uniforms in ways that never really happened in real life, but kind of should have. I'm going with Jojo Rabbit, but don't count on me. <laughs> now to cinematography. 
quite often cinematography and picture go hand in hand, not all the time. And again, the Academy does like to reward the, you know, the flashy cinematography. In this case, 1917 is going to win for best cinematography. I think it should, Ro. I mean, not only we've talked about what a great, impactful, emotional story it is, but the visuals in this are incredible. And even though it's a war film and it's set, you know, more than 100 years ago, there's a little bit of special effects. But most of it is what we call practical effects where they built the sets and they had real extras. And the production design here goes hand in hand with the cinematography. The camera work is just absolutely artistic. I think you have to look out for Joker in anything that's visual. So makeup, production design, cinematography, that is your best backup if you think everybody else is going in a different direction. And we know that Joaquin Phoenix, we'll talk about it, is going to win for Best Actor. How much did the Academy love the film as a whole? We really aren't sure of that yet. And now, the most confusing categories, Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing. Yeah, even when they announce these awards, they do them back-to-back, and the hosts always kind of joke about trying to figure out the difference. But they don't really do that great of a job of explaining it. And a lot of people are probably thinking, like, why can't they just have one award for this? These are actually two very different categories, Ro. I'm going to use a, a legendary example of a film that actually won for sound editing and sound mixing, and that would be Jaws. When you see the scene where young Alex Kittner doesn't make it out of the scene alive, he's a little boy in the red swimsuit who paddles out, and then just the yellow raft and a little bit of blood come washing ashore. When you watch that scene, or in this case, you listen to the scene, there are so many elements of sound. When Steven Spielberg's making that movie and shooting the actual scene, what he's only concerned about is capturing the actual dialogue between the actors who have speaking roles in that particular scene. All the other stuff comes into play later. So for sound editing, the artists are concerned with adding all the elements that would play into this. The radio playing in the background. The waves lapping up against the shore. Some background dialogue and even a scream or two that might sound like it's dangerous, but is really just a bunch of kids having fun at the beach. So the sound editors are really interested in creating the sounds of the beach. Okay, so what does the sound mixer do? Now the sound mixers are interested in layering all those sounds in a perfect way to help augment the scene. How loud is the sound of that scream in the distance? How dominant is the radio sound? All of that stuff that we might not notice consciously when we're watching the movie creates the theater of the mind. So to reiterate, 1917 wins both. That's a sure thing. This is going to be an easy one, I think. Best international film. Parasite's going to win for sure here in the best international language film. Pain and Glory is another terrific film if you're looking for an upset. But when we're talking about surefire favorites here, Ro, it's Parasite best international film. Interesting thing, too, about the best international film. The Academy Award itself actually goes to the country. Not the individuals. Now, I think in most cases, they're like, hey, why don't we give it to the director? My guess is in some countries, like, I'll take that. Kim Jong-un, for sure. Luckily, this is a South (laughs) Korean film. That's a good point. And now a category that they have teased for the last 30 minutes, best actor in a supporting role. Brad Pitt's year, of course, he's going to win for best actor in a supporting role. I keep hearing from people, too, saying, why is he in supporting when he's actually the lead in the movie? And again, for folks who don't know, it's kind of arbitrary. You know, the actors themselves can decide which category they're going to be in. There's not a time limit or anything like that, you know, minutes on screen. So you could say he's definitely the co-lead. But a lot of the supporting actor roles over the years, either you win for 10 minutes of an incredible scene or for being the co-lead. First of all, he's great in this film. Brad Pitt is a Hollywood favorite. He's 
given Academy-level performances for 25 years, this is the perfect marriage of role and actor. If you want to back up, if you want to go the other way, Anthony Hopkins and the two popes, you got to remember, there are a lot of actors over the age of 90 in the Academy who still vote. This is true, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I read this article, Row, where an Academy member was complaining about some of the nominees. It was one of Howard Hughes' ex-wives. <laughs> so I'm just saying that if you want to go for a long shot, that's your long shot. Another fan favorite, best animated feature film. Toy Story 4. It wins for sure. I, it was my favorite animated film. No offense to the other nominees. I didn't really think it was a particularly strong year for animated films. Animated short. Now, this used to be something in the 1950s when Bugs Bunny ruled the world. <laughs> now it's incredibly rare to see an animated short before a movie. Once in a while, if you're lucky enough to live in a market that has the ability to do this, they'll show all the nominated short films in both categories as a special presentation, which is really cool. For our purposes here, you have to go with Hair Love. It's a great short film. This one's actually gotten a little more publicity than animated shorts have in recent years, Ro, because it's about an African-American father who has to style his daughter's hair for the first time, and it's really moving and beautiful. Now remember, people, these are the categories you can really clean up in if you're in an Oscar pool or you want to impress the people at your Oscar party. Oh, I had that. Show them the list. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Rowan. 99% of Oscar pools out there, it's how many you can get right out of 24. You don't get more points for picking best picture. But the so-called minor categories, this is where you can really make your mark. Nobody at the Oscar party has seen any of these films like Best Documentary Short. The winner in this category is going to be a brilliant short film. It's called Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone if You're a Girl. It's an amazing film about young girls in Afghanistan who are actually learning to skateboard, if you can believe it. Where can people see the documentary shorts? The cool thing is, in addition to some theaters that'll show them, you know, a lot of times online you'll be able to see the full collection of these films. It's also very important because a lot of the people who work on these short films go on to do feature-length films, in particular the animated films, where you'll see somebody does a short film for Pixar and then eventually gets a full feature-length film. Next category is visual effects. Yeah, really cool shit. I think they also call this sometimes. Like, the, you know, the stuff that just looks amazing. This is often the chance for the Academy Row to award one of the big budget blockbuster films. So Avengers Endgame is going to win for best visual effects. It deserves to win. Here's another category nobody saw the film in. Best live action short. We have a film called A Sister and a film called Brotherhood among the five nominees here. And Row, it is kind of a shame that people don't get to see all these films. For purposes of our ballot, a sister is the film you should use as your selection. And now it's time for the big categories, best original screenplay. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to win for best original screenplay. This is one of those categories where a long shot could come through. For example, Knives Out is considered the biggest long shot of the group. But people who have seen that film, they love the film and it's a real writer's picture. I'm going with that. All right. And then there's Best Adapted Screenplay, which, of course, is a screenplay based on already existing material. I think the winner here, Ro, is going to be Little Women, and that's Greta Gerwig, who was also the director. Here's a film that was nominated for Best Picture, and yet she didn't get nominated for Best Director. Florence Pugh is up for Best Supporting Actress, probably isn't going to win. This will be the Academy's way of recognizing Greta Gerwig as a great filmmaker on the rise and the film itself. Best original song. I'm going to love me again. No, that is not a statement I'm making to you right now, Rokan. It's the title <laughs> of the song from the great Elton John and Bertie Taupin that's going to win in this category. Rocket Man is the movie there. 
It's going to be a huge upset for eight-year-olds if they're still awake because the Frozen 2 song didn't make it. Into the Unknown, which I think is an absolutely beautiful song, but it's kind of existential for a kid's movie. You're going into the unknown, and I think that's why it's not going to win. Also, who doesn't love a little Elton John? The great irony here, though, is if this does win the Oscar, it will be the first time that Elton John and his lyricist, Bernie Taupin, ever won a major award together other than this year's Golden Globe in the same category. That's insane. Now, original score, which is different from song. Score is the entire audible canvas for the story. I predict 1917 will win here just as a part of its kind of technical awards, if you will. But Joker has such an incredible score, you can make the argument for that one very easily. I think this is Joker's year. I know that you're the critic and you have gotten 24 out of 24 and my best ever is like 10. (laughs) But I'm telling you, Joker is the sneak play this Oscar season, which of course leads us to best actor in a leading role. Now, even though I've talked about trying to get a little clever sometimes with your Oscar ballot or looking for upsets, you can't do that here. If you want to win your Oscar ballot, you have to check off the name of Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Everybody knows he's going to win. He should win. I can't wait for his speech. I think it's going to be a great moment. Listen, he's a guy who's had his ups and downs. We know that in his personal life. And has been very upfront about that. But he's been doing great acting for nearly 25 years now. It's also a foregone conclusion who's going to win Best Actress in a leading role. Renee Zellweger for Judy is the odds-on favorite. And listen, I don't mean to disrespect Renee Zellweger, who's a very good actress, when I tell you I didn't love the performance. I didn't love the film. The only thing I'll say to folks who are so much behind this performance and are guaranteeing it's going to win the Academy Award, I'll say this to the members of the Academy. If she's so great in this film, why isn't this film nominated for almost anything else? Why isn't it nominated for Best Picture, for Best Screenplay, for all these other awards? Because you know what? It's a mediocre film with a pretty good performance. Look out for Scarlett Johansson here. Could be an upset. This podcast is a lot like the Oscars itself. <laughs> You're anticipating a lot of things that are coming up, and we're finally there. And we thank you for bearing with us. But listen to this, Rokan. Okay, 24 categories in the Oscars, that's a lot. You know how many categories they have in the Grammys? 83! 83 categories! <laughs> if we did a podcast about that, we'd have to do it over a nine-day period. They used to actually present all 83 Aye, in the yeah, television yeah. broadcast, which went on for six hours at a time. They finally figured out that the Grammys is a television show about music, so they just show you the music. Exactly. It's actually the best of all of the major awards television shows. Yes, because what you can't do at the Academy Awards is have everybody go up there and recreate their acting. And now for the two popes <laughs> and Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price walk out in costume. This would be a definitely terrible blow to the papacy. Do you realize that the first Oscars that were held were 23 minutes long? They zipped through them, and you see the old grainy footage where the Oscars were just on like this folding card table. Like you put Little League participation trophies these days. (laughs) All right. So here we are. Here are the big ones. Best director. Sam Mendes is going to win for 1917. For the majority of years, best director tells you what best picture is going to be. Will it this year? I'm not so sure that's going to happen this year. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to win for Best Picture, but Quentin won't win for Best Director. Sam Mendes will win. But this is a really tight race right now, Ro. I think it really comes down to 1917 versus Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Parasite coming on strong down the stretch. On the next episode of The Best Movies with Richard Roper and Ro Khan, Countdown to Gold, we're going to take an in-depth look at the Best Picture category. And please remember to check us out any place you can hear fine podcasts. That can be on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you name it. And we love those reviews and ratings. See you next time.